0: Months we haven't been together. It's just one week, so we're going to talk about worship today, and we're going to jump right into it. Uh, The story we're going to read today just has a real simple point, but it's not a it's not a point that people really grasp because it's the whole idea of worship is is just full of confusion and people don't get it. Uh, What is worship about? Is worship this? Is worship this? And this story, I think gives us three simple insights about worship that are like the heart of what worship is no matter where you look in the Bible. And the simple message of this story is that God, the the maker of everything, is seeking. He's pursuing worshipers. He's pursuing people that they might become worshipers. So what I want you to do, if you have a Bible with you, is open it to John chapter 4, my favorite book. No, not kidding. (laughs) John chapter 4, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. And it's a famous story, though. It's called The Woman at the Well. That's the title of it. It's where Jesus has this interaction with a Samaritan woman. And there's three insights. And, and so I'm going to say them to you and then go back over them. So when, when, if the point of this is God is pursuing worshipers, Why is he doing that? What is worship and why is he pursuing worshipers? What does that have to do with us? Well, as this story unfolds, the first thing you're going to see is Jesus is offering life through worship. Now, you may wonder, well, how does that work? So you'll see. It's real simple. This is a real simple story, but it's it's a, a, a beautifully powerful story about worship and about how we can connect with God through worship. Secondly, Jesus challenges in this story, in his interaction with this woman, all false worship. So he offers life through worship, but he challenges false worship. And at the end, you see that Jesus is the focus, Jesus himself is the focus of all true worship, all true worship. Jesus makes this little distinction in here, but it's it's not a fine distinction. You're going to see Jesus uses some metaphors in this that at first, as he's interacting with this woman, she doesn't get it. Then she gets it, and then, because this woman has you know way more on the ball than, than some people in her time would have given her credit for, she immediately jumps from this metaphor into how it applies to her life. But she has a struggle doing that. We're going to look at that, because all of us go through, to become worshipers, we have to go through this story the way that this woman did. We go on this little journey. When Jesus meets us and starts seeking us, we all go through this transition, this journey that this woman does. So let's start reading in verse 1. It says, The, bapti- the, excuse me, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although In fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, which was like in northern Israel. Now, he had to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to get water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews, parenthetically, John gives us a little background. Jews and and Samaritans had a history. Okay, They didn't get along. And so she was, she was surprised because men didn't often talk to women in public. And Jewish people didn't talk to Samaritans at all. It just wasn't done. It was social convention. If you were a good Jew, you considered Samaritans, uh, you know, the lowest form of people. And you just didn't associate with them in any way. And so she was surprised. Wow. You're breaking all kinds of conventions here. What's going on? Now... Let me tell you something about wells. Modern day wells are called bars. This well where Jacob, that he gave his son, this is where he met his wife. This is where people met, and sometimes they struck up relationships. Sometimes this is kind of a, it was a pickup place, too. And so she's wondering. I mean, there's all kinds of things going on in this. Do you understand? And Jesus is trying to, he's trying to, you know, be real straightforward. And he doesn't want his intentions to be misunderstood. Although, maybe in the beginning, she's wondering, as you you find out a little bit more about her, you know, what is this about? Why would you talk to me? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he's talking in metaphorical language here. Uh, and they're talking about first he's asking here for water. Then he's saying, I'll give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. In fact, there's a well in this area that exists now that they think is Jacob's well and it's 138 feet deep. So can you imagine taking a clay jar, as women would bring a clay jar to that well, and you tie a rope to it because it would be made so that a rope can attach to it. Then you have to get down on your knees and drop it down to the bottom and get water and then pull it back up. And you know how heavy water is. Just imagine hauling a, one gallon of water. And a woman having a clay pot that has a gallon of water, who never knows what size it was, and just the labor that this required every day, over and over and over. And so she says, "You can't. You don't have. A, you're asking me for water, and you're going to give me water. Uh, where do you get this living water?" Then she asks him a question. This is where the story starts getting, you know, interesting. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this spring of water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Let's stop right there. God is seeking this woman. This, you know, if, once you've read the whole story, you see right off the bat this is why he's talking to her. Because God is after this woman, and she's a very unlikely woman. You know, as, as we'll see, there's a lot, she has a history. Not only did the Jews and the Samaritans have a history, this is a woman with a history. She was coming there by herself in the middle of the day because she was sort of a social outcast. She, had a, you know, she didn't live quite the most uh, upright lifestyle. And so in her community, she just was ostracized. And she was an outcast. And Jesus says to her, which surprised her, he asked her for water first. That was surprising. Then he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who you're talking to and he started hinting about something, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. And, and the two words now, right off the bat, there's this, there, Jesus is drawing this comparison, and he's going back and forth between it. It starts with a natural comparison, but really quickly, it becomes something more significant. So first he says, and this is how it worked. If you didn't live near a river or a lake, you drank water from a well... Or a spring. And I don't know if any of you have ever been to uh, a location where there's a spring. I have a friend who lives in Lancaster. And they own the oldest house in all of Lancaster. And in their backyard is a a spring house. And we went down, when I first time I visited them, they said, come down and look at our spring house. We go down there. And the people had used all these carved stones. A a spring is someplace where water just bubbles up out of the ground. It's just an artesian uh, source of water. And it's cold and clear and good and it just always keeps flowing. And some, some springs are unusual in the sense that they really are bubbling up. There's a tremendous amount of pressure. Where theirs had an average amount. But they, the people who owned the house years ago had, had hand cut all these stones and it created like a little, way, a little basin that, that would hold the water as it flowed. It's pretty safe to drink out of flowing water. And I remember they went down there and said, hold let's get a coffee cup. And they went down there and they gave this to me. And I'm thinking, I had a bad experience when drinking out of drinking out of a, a, a lake. <laughs> I was dumb enough to drink out of a lake. <laughs> I got so sick you wouldn't believe it. And so they gave me this cup and they dip it down, and I'm looking at them like I'm having flashbacks, like of you know, projectile vomiting and <laughs> days of you know grabbing my stomach. Ah! And I couldn't, you know, I'm kind of holding the cup, and I go, okay, I drink it. Oh, my, God, wow, it was, it was the best bottle of water you'd ever tasted. I dip down again. This is a, a hot summer day. I dip and go, wow, it's cold. It's cold water. And so here's the picture. You get down on your knees, and you drop your bucket, and you pull it up. I mean, imagine the energy it takes to do that, all right? Or you get down on your knees, And you sip. I mean, the water bubbles up, and it just flows and flows and flows, and there's no effort to that. Do you see the picture here? You got to drink water. You can't. You can't live without drinking. And Jesus says, "You got this well. It's a wonderful thing. But I got something better for you. And the way you, you can access it in two. You access it in two completely different ways." Because he introduces this thing. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who was standing here, you'd ask him and he would give you this living water. He would give you a spring. Now, here's a woman. Women in that time, they couldn't own anything. They didn't have any standing. In, in court cases, women weren't considered reliable witnesses. They couldn't even testify for themselves about some matter that concerned themselves or their property they just didn 't have standing like women have today, whatever advances we still need to make in terms of equality you, it 's you it's, it's hard to imagine how different it was back then and, he, and here 's a woman who's not only not only a woman and a Samaritan woman, but she is a woman who has a history and who, who, her society and because the Samaritans were pretty much like the Jews in the sense that they had very high moral standards. They, their dispute was over religion. But they were people who thought it was really important you know, to uh, not commit adultery and not steal and not lie. And you know, they, had, they, they obeyed the Ten Commandments. They believed just in the first five books of Moses, not the rest. And so that was the dispute between the Jews, some of it. They'll get into some more here in a second. So Jesus is saying to her, you, who can't have anything, imagine what your life would be like if you had a spring. And so in the beginning, she's thinking, he's offering to give me land. Well, h- how's that happen? Well, through some kind of relationship. What is he, where is he leading me? Where is he taking this? A person who had a spring was a person who had great influence and standing. You understand how important a spring could be for a whole community? So Jesus is saying, here you are, you've got nothing. You have less than nothing. You'll find out in a second how less than nothing she had, if you don't know the story well. Jesus is saying, I will give you something. And she's looking at him, are, are you greater? In other words, and the word greater there implies, are you richer? Are you more like someone who's like Jacob? Because Jacob, Jacob was one of the richest men of, of that whole region of the Middle East. And so she's thinking, he's going to give me a land. And real quick, she's starting to, you know, you have to kind of follow the, the language. It's, it's, there's, there's subtle changes that starting to happen in their dialogue. But she's starting to think, maybe he's not talking about water, right? Now, this is where, this, this is where the thing is. So worship, now you may look in this and say, well, where's worship in this, John? There's not even a mention of worship. The Greek word for worship here that that Jesus uses is the word proskuneo, which means to bow down on your knees before someone greater, to kiss them. There's There's a sense of humbling yourself, of making yourself vulnerable, of letting your need be known, of seeking help from whoever you're bowing before. And so there's a, you see, it, 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 there's this well and a spring image, and Jesus is drawing a distinction. He's saying, You've drunk out of a well, and look where it's gotten you. Now I'm offering you something far greater. Far greater. But he's comparing it to something she understood, which was a spring. And not just a spring, but the, the the language that Jesus used pictured a rich Amazing, unusual spring—a spring that that that—it's that almost like you just went like this, like a water fountain. You did have to bend down to get to it, but it was—it wasn't just like just barely bubbling out and running along the ground. It was bubbling, bubbling, and it was it was uh, profuse. So she's got this in her mind, and I think at this point she's starting to go, "Where is he taking this?" Is he talking about water and land and property and all that, or is he? Is this is this spiritual? What is it? So the next thing he says is, and the second point is, Jesus challenges all false worship. Okay, he challenges false worship. And is it possible for people to to worship in a way that God would say that's false? Yes. Now I know that's sort of. Uh, frowned on to to even discuss those categories. It's not politically correct today to say that there is true and false worship because we want to... Gosh, we don't want to... It's like when two peewee football teams play each other and someone wins, we just want to go, you all won, you know? We don't want to hurt your feelings if the other team, like, beat you 62 to nothing, so you're winners too. (laughs) You know, and we... and, and and. I think our hearts in the right place, but we're but without going into that social commentary, (laughs) there are things that are true, and there are things that are false, and there are things that are right, and there are things that are wrong. There's a a a professor. What does he he teach? Political philosophy, (laughs) done at University of Texas, and he wrote a book, uh, "Things That We Can't Not Know." And he just pointed out, he talks, he's talking about natural law theory, and he just points out that everybody around the world universally acknowledges that it's not good to kill your children. It's just one of those things that everybody cannot not know is wrong. It's good to take care of your children and nurture them and protect them and, and invest in them. And it's, good to ki- it's not good to kill them. And so, when we get into this discussion about there's things that are right and wrong, we got to remember, because we're in this sort of philosophy, philosophical uh, ocean of relativism that says we don't believe there's any right and any wrong. Even though everybody all day long <laughs> acknowledges certain things are right and certain things are wrong, when we start splitting, you know, philosophical theological hairs, people want to back off and say no. I don't want to embrace that because that throws me into some sort of weird, fundamentalist, narrow-minded, lower brainstem people. And I certainly don't want to be categorized like that. You know, I I want people to understand I'm a thinking person. I've even thought recently of of getting a a bumper sticker that says, I think, therefore I vote. I just thought (laughs) that that would be a good thing because so many people don't vote. And it's because a lot of people don't think, I think, in my opinion. Anyway. Again, that's, uh, I got the microphone so I can say these kinds of things. So Jesus challenges what she's worshiping. And what is, again, he, worship, the Greek word worship is to get down on your knees, to, to bow before, which is a picture of what it is to drink out of a well or to drink out of a spring. And so he's drawing this distinction, and he's saying, not that drinking out of well is bad, but he's going to draw out of her what it is that she worships, because all of us worship something. All of us, every one of us that are in this room, every human being, whether people believe in any deity at all, we all worship. You know, people might not be comfortable with that idea, but I think it's true. And so Jesus says that he shows her in a second here. That the deepest longings, what she is looking for in her heart to be met by what she worships can't get met that way. That they can only be met by him. And so he asked her a question because she says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she's starting to get it. She's going... There's something better than this. There is, and you're offering it to me. Please give me that water. And she's not at this point sure how how that transaction is going to take place. And so Jesus says to her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you've said you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Her eyes get real wide. <laughs> Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> you, how, did, how did you know that? Now, again, remember women in that culture, men had all the power. Men had all the property. You get divorced, and who knows? She could have been a middle-aged woman. And she doesn't have, apparently she doesn't have any children. Or if she has any children, they don't seem to be well, very connected to her life. She has to live. She needs security. Let's just say all of us need security. She was desperate for security, so she found a man with whom she lived with who would help her find security. Now, women today have more options, but in that culture, they didn't. And sometimes we look at her and think, wow, an immoral woman, she was just trying to get by. I think that's... But... She had been through five husbands who had all rejected her. She had drunk out of that well over and over. She had worked. And and think of the pain she'd experienced over and over and over and over and over. And who knows, maybe the man that she was living with wanted to marry her, but she was so hurt by this experience that she just said, I'm done with that. I don't know. We're not privy to... To her thinking, but she knew that Jesus was drawing something to the surface that was making her uncomfortable. So she, you know, she's going, Whoa, I'm, I'm not sure I want to talk about that. And so she shifts the conversation and she says, Next, believe me. Oh, uh, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, but you Jews claim the place we must worship. In other words, true worship has to happen in Jerusalem. That's what you guys say. But we say you can worship here. And so she's drawing this distinction. Okay, Now, all of a sudden, it's just like a, a, you know, a, good, a good magician. You know, the hand's moving over here, and the action's over here. Jesus has got her to become vulnerable He's got her to a place of real vulnerability where what she depends on has been exposed. The vulnerability of her heart is, is laid bare. And then, just like most of us, she, she wants to get as quick as she can away from that subject and onto something that's kind of theoretical and philosophical. Not that it's not important, but Jesus says. Listen, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So he says right off the bat, we're not getting caught up in that dispute because that's a temporary dispute. And he said, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. So God's seeking worshipers, and he wants them to worship in spirit and in truth. And it's not about where you worship. It's not about the rituals that you observe. He's talking about something de- the depth of a person's heart. The true worship happens in your heart. It's not that some of these other things aren't important, but he's saying that they are unimportant compared to your heart. Because spirit and truth are things about the depths of our being. And so Jesus says, and the woman says, I know. So all of a sudden she's realizing, I'm, I'm, I'm in over my head here. Every time I, I, I pull out my little card that has kind of helped me to move forward in life, this guy shows me it does, that's not going to work. That dog won't hunt. And so she goes, okay. I get it. That does sound like something better than what either the Jews have or we have. And so she says this. She says, I know that Messiah and the word Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, at this point, he's been hinting. He's been telling her things. I can do things. I'm offering things. And she realizes he's offering big things. She's, he's offering things that she desperately needed. But now he's starting to make claims that are pretty amazing. But at this point, he's already done a few things that to her, we'll look at those just for a second here, that to her got her attention in a way probably nothing else could. Because right off the bat, he valued her. He respected her. He was willing to break social and spiritual convention to talk to her. He was obligating himself to her by asking her, would you give me water? Because if someone did something for you in that culture, you were expected to do kindness to them. And there wasn't a Jew or a man who had treated her that way. She was used to just being used. She was was used to being second class at the best. And Jesus came along and and spoke of this generosity and and offered her things that he wasn't asking for anything back that surprised her, it got her heart. But then he, when she asked, when she got to the point where she said, I want that. Whatever you're offering, I want it. Then he had to deal with this issue of false and true worship where he said, okay, what are you going to depend on, Samaritan woman? You can kneel before this well or you can kneel before the fountain of living water which I alone can give you. And she knew because she'd been taught the the Samaritans knew this because they believed the first five books of the law. And they're prophetic, messianic, Predictions in the Old Testament that were all, in the old, uh, were, were all through the Old Testament, but the, the first five books in particular had a number of notable predictions that Messiah was going to come and what he was going to be like and what he was going to do. He's going to be greater than Moses, who the Jews held was the greatest prophet of all. And that Jesus said, I am that person. And the word Messiah or Christ meant the one who was anointed with the spirit from God in a way that nobody else had ever been anointed. They knew that this this one that was coming was going to bring to them everything that God had promised the Jewish people that they'd only tasted all the good things that they experienced. God was going to pour them out through this Messiah. And now this story started with Jesus traveling from Judea north, which was mostly uphill and in up and down terrain. To a point at this well where he's tired and hungry. So the the, he's I'm sorry, he's hungry, he's thirsty, and he's tired, and he rests by the well. His disciples go get some food. The woman passes them on the way. They don't talk to her. And in a few minutes, she's going to come back. I'm sorry, she she passed them. She went past them again. She told the village, they come back. We'll see this in a second. But this woman looks at Jesus. And at first, he was just another guy, another tired guy. And we look at him, and the Bible says that Jesus was God in the flesh. He was fully man and fully God in one person. And you see that here. You see... Him offering something, he was thirsty for water, but he's offering her something. And that's what the Bible said about the Messiah, is he was going to be humble, and he was going to be weak, but he was going to be anointed by the Spirit. And that God was going to pour out the Spirit through him. That the Messiah would usher in this age where the Spirit of God, who was only on a few people and with the Jewish people, he was going to pour Him out on everybody, men and women, rich and poor, slave and free. He was, and in doing that, the Spirit of God was going to begin to break down these social barriers that were never God's will, that life was going to be poured out. And the pictures that the prophet spoke of was that there would be streams in the desert springs, literally, in the desert. And so here's a woman who lives in an arid desert community who has to trudge uphill to a well who, who, whose domestic life is pretty empty. And this trying to get the water out of this well represents her life in every sense of the word. And Jesus comes along and says, I want to change you. And it will all change if you come and instead of bowing down to that thing, you bow down to me. And out of your worship of me, I will give you the Holy Spirit. And inside you, the spring of water that I can alone give will begin to bubble up inside you. And You, will, you don't have to live this empty life anymore. You have options now because I'm God, the the God of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be with you and care for you and provide for you and make a way for you so that you don't have to. If you want to marry this man, you can marry him. If you don't want to, you don't have to because God will be with you. And the, the Old Testament is just full of story after story after story of how God made a way for The orphan, the widow, the poor, the weak, the outsider. He had a heart for all of them. And that completely described this woman in almost every way. And so Jesus is offering her something, but he's asking her, If you recognize who I am, will you, proskuneo, bow before me? Which is a pretty heady thing for him to say, because he was just asking her for a drink of water. Just, you know, 20 minutes beforehand. And then if you turn, the next thing it says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked him, what do you do? Uh, What do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then verse 28 says, this is a a crucial, the, the story pivots here. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came, out to the, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And then it says, many of those Samaritans, in verse 39, from that town, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. In other words, she was saying, a testimony is where you describe something that has happened to you. And he made this invitation. She accepted it, and she experienced something That changed the way she saw herself, the way she saw other people, the way she related to God. Because all of a sudden, this woman who's trying to avoid everybody out of shame, out of whatever, guilt, she is running into town and she is saying... You guys, look, come and find come and listen to this man who's told me everything I've ever done and who and and who accepted me and gave me this amazing promise and God's real to me now and all these things. I don't think it's like when you first meet Jesus, you don't even know all that you've got. But but she drank of that river of living water. When she believed in Jesus, the turning point was where she left her jar. Do you see that? A lot of times these little A plot, descriptions show symbolically what happened in her heart. She said, I'm done with the well. I'm done with my old life. I will not bow down anymore to that false God. What was the God for her before? Her security was this man she lived with. The deep need of her life was satisfied through this man. Probably belonging to and love. I mean, there's lots of needs that we have. You could see that this person, and we don't know that he was a bad person. That, 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 that's not what we're trying to say, or the packet. We don't even know who he was. But suddenly she is freed from her slavery to that. She doesn't have to live under that yoke anymore. Because she met Jesus. She believed in him. And so this Our, tim- our our habit is we're going to worship something. We are going to depend on something or someone. And a well is necessary, but why would you live by drawing water from a well when you could have a spring? Now, you may say, well, I'm not ready to embrace Jesus that way. That's okay. But... You're, you're starting to understand, it, it, even if you're not ready to embrace Jesus that way, that he's offering you something that's better. And he's trying to say, when you're tired of hauling water up out of that well of what you worship and what you live for, it might be your career, it might be your education, it might be family, it might be any number of good things, it might be something that totally corrupts and destroys you. Because... We, in our brokenness, as like Jay said, in, in praying that a lot of family members, have, uh, have relatives who are substance abusers, and they become dependent on things. We need we need. We are contingent beings. We can't live. We don't have all the resources we need for life, in ourselves. We're made, God says. To worship him and to know him, the one who is the source. And you look at Jesus and think, he's asking for water, but now he's offering living water. That's it. Because he's God and man. He was weak, he was humble. And to get to the punchline for us, it's real simple. There, there's, there's an application of this to us as a community, and there's an application to us individually. The community application is, it's, we get a chance if we become a community of worship, if we focus on that, which means all of us, we can host the presence of God and we can have among us and out of our fellowship the spring of life bubbling up that gives life. Some of you are here because you've experienced that and it's touched your lives and you want more of it. And God wants to use humble, average people like us to host his presence. But his presence is only experienced, as Jesus said to this woman, he was giving her a choice. He said, you can hold on this relationship with this man and try to find everything you need from that. Or you can go on an adventure, a risky adventure, and you can begin to worship me. and and know me and love me and open yourself up and make yourself vulnerable to me as painful as that might be but you will find more and more and more of the same that you've experienced here in this few minutes of our conversation. She was surprised at the love that she met in Jesus. She was surprised at the respect he gave her and the value he placed on her and what he saw in her you know in the old saying in business it takes money to make money it takes capital to make capital well if you're an investor if you have equity and you look around you don't look for people who have messed up their lives who have 16 bankruptcies in a row to give them capital you look for someone who's taken a little and they've done something with it right but Jesus saw in her the potential in her life he saw her value and he knew if she will open her life up to me I will pour life into her and she will become a woman unlike what anyone could imagine a woman of integrity and character generosity and you could see right from the beginning she goes right back into that town she doesn't keep this thing to herself all these people that had mistreated her, she immediately went to them with concern for them and what she had experienced because she found, I do have a spring and I want to share it. I don't want to keep it to myself. That's a picture of the change in her heart. But here's the thing worship is something that we just don't do in our heads. Worship is something we do with our whole person. The Greek word for worship, proskuneo, means to bow down before. So when you see people clapping, lifting their hands, bowing down, sometimes people getting up and walking up in the front during a service because they're so moved and they lay on their faces or they kneel down, they're just acknowledging humbly the God that they are are having a glimpse of in that moment how good he is, how generous he is, how loving and powerful and kind. And they're expressing sometimes just gratefulness to him because of how good he's been to them. That's what worship is. Worship is love expressed. And and you may look at this and think, I'm just not an expressive person. You're not being asked to be expressive. You're being asked to make yourself vulnerable. You're not being asked to draw well water from the well and put all this energy into it. Proskuneo means you humble yourself. You self-disclose to God. You let God see what's really in your heart, what you're struggling with. And some of us, we spend a lot of our energy hiding from everyone around us what we know is wrong with us. And because we do that, it it creates this hardness about us. And Jesus met this woman, and He's trying to, like, sprinkle some water on her and soften her, so that 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 hard shell will crack. And and he didn't he didn't he brought up this very painful part of her life, her domestic life. But do you notice he? It was just him and her. He didn't stand in front of a crowd of people and expose her. He just did it with him and her. God knows what's wrong in our life. And he was trying to get her to acknowledge that and own it and bring that to him and say, God, I want the best you have for me. If the best you have for me is not this life, then I want it. But I'm willing to do whatever you want from now on. And so it's, it's this vulnerability that leads to expressiveness. See, when you bow down before God and you acknowledge that through Jesus, God makes himself real to you and that everything you need comes through Jesus, you're, you're taking a huge step right there. And every week when we gather together, we have this opportunity of hosting the presence of God by vulnerably opening ourselves up to God. And you know, I've told you before, stories of, of people who come into our church, they kind of hang around. And we're, I think we're going through a cycle of learning to worship again as a church. Not that there isn't true worship going on here. I just mean, I think a lot of us spend more time being really self-conscious than God-conscious. And when we're doing that, we're hiding. When we're doing that, we're not doing proscaneo. Because we're acting like, I don't really have any needs. And, you know, one of the simplest things you can do that starts opening your soul up to God is holding your hands up like this. Now, some of you would think I'm asking you to to, to take out a second mortgage and give me all the money <laughs> to lift your hands like that. But that this is a picture of surrender. It's a picture of childlikeness. Our grandson, a lot of times, he'll see me and he'll he'll smile real big and he'll go like this because he wants to be picked up. It's like this... I want hug. I want, you know, a big kiss. And I do this little game with him where I, I, I go, I call it Gaga. And where I go, I put my face right here in his neck and go, Ga-ga-ga-ga-ga. and he goes, Ah, and he pushes away. And then he goes like this. <laughs> and he leans back in. And again, he's smiling because he wants that. He loves that. Well, that's what we're doing to God. There's this intimacy that we can experience. Now, when a, John Wimber, back in the day when the vineyard first started, uh, he said, after the, 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 the church that he started, started in a home. And he said, after we started to meet in our home gathering, I noticed times during the meeting, usually when we sang, in which I experienced God deeply. We sang many songs, but mostly songs about worship or testimonies from one Christian to another. In other words, talking about God or talking to one another. But occasionally, we sang a song personally and immediately to Jesus with lyrics like, Jesus, I love you. These types of songs both stirred and fed the hunger for God within me. About this time, I began to ask our music leader, which, Bob, why don't you come on up? We're going to close in worship. Uh, Why some songs seemed to spark something in us and others didn't. As we talked about worship, we realized... That often, and he came from a, a, a very traditional church background when this was happening, we realized that often we would sing about worship, yet never actually worshiped. Except when we accidentally stumbled onto an intimate song like, I love you, Lord, I lift my voice. Thus, we began to see a difference between songs about Jesus and songs to Jesus. Now, during this time, when we were stumbling around corporately in worship, many of us were also worshiping at home alone. During these solitary times, we were not necessarily singing, but we were bowing down, kneeling, lifting hands, praying spontaneously in the spirit, sometimes with spoken prayers, sometimes with non-verbalized prayers, even prayers without words at all, just in our heart calling out to God silently. We noticed that as our individual worship life deepened, when we came together, there was a greater hunger toward God. So we learned that what happens when we're alone with the Lord determines how intimate and deep the worship will be together. And he goes on, and it's a, it's a story about worship, and we have to learn to worship corporately. We have to l- we learn to worship more intimately. And so when you come to Vineyard, you hear us sing these I love you songs spoken directly to God, not just about God, which is, is, a, is an legitimate kind of worship too, but there's a deeper intimacy that God calls us to. And singing and engaging our whole person is how we begin to go there, how we begin to proskuneo. And we are called to a journey if we're going to follow Jesus. And it's a journey Last thought, I'll leave you with this. The, the journey of worship and the journey of following Jesus is a journey where we're called to become like children. We're called to become like little children. It's not something that a lot of us as adults are super comfortable with. Although we look back on our childhood sometimes if we had a good childhood and think, oh, we're so nostalgic for certain times in our life. Well, what was so powerful in those times was that we were, our life was simple and we were dependent And we were okay with it. And what sin does is it hardens us. And it makes us self-reliant. It makes us hide. Because we have shame and guilt and things. And Jesus says, come to me. If you knew the gift of God and you came to me. I would give you water. Living water. And that water would be something that that is inside you. You. And it's something that when you get together with other people, it intensifies. It intensifies. So we're going to close with the song today. And uh, some of you here, I want to ask before everybody stands, if if you're here today and you want to change from a well to a spring, and your jar represents something that you've depended on in your life, may just be yourself, Maybe this is where your life is at. That's the sum of your life, is I depend on me. But there's something we all live for and we all worship. And Jesus always asks us, do you want to keep going into that well for the rest of your life or do you want to have a spring? I'll give it to you as a gift. And if, if you're tired of that, some of you, you need to do this again because you've, you, you've followed Jesus, but you've gone back to the well. You know what it's like to drink out of the spring, but you've gone back to the well again. And I just want to ask you today, either for the first time or maybe for the 31st time, are you hearing Jesus invite you again to drink...